0: Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're halfway through the book, this letter to the Philippian church. But don't get fooled because he says here in verse 1, finally, my brothers. And then we still have half the book left. So it's kind of like a pastor that says, well, in closing, and then like 20 minutes later, he's still preaching. So I'll try not to do that today. But we're going to be in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, all the way down to verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision." Who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would Show us Jesus today. That you would show us our desperate need for Jesus. That you would make the gospel crystal clear for us, Lord, that that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy us. Lord, Lord, we can't even save ourselves. There is no such thing as self-righteousness. Lord, would you turn our eyes to completely trust in Jesus? That we can That we would cast ourselves completely on Jesus, not only His precious blood that was shed for our sins, but His perfect righteousness that covers us. I'm going to ask that you just join me right now in praying that. Would you you pray, even in your heart right now where you're seated, would you pray, Lord, would you make the gospel clear to me? Would you make Jesus even more beautiful to me, that I would cast myself completely on him? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is one of my children's favorite holidays. It's Reformation Day. I'm just kidding. It's it's Halloween. I think one of my kids just gave me a snarl, like, what? It's Halloween. It's Halloween. It's a time for my kids to to dress up, to fill up a pillow sack full of candy for their dad to eat while they sleep and don't know about it tonight. Y'all better hide it good. No, it's time for them to to put on a Godzilla outfit or a princess outfit and pretend to be somebody else. Our kids, they dress up, they, they wear costumes, and they pretend for a moment that there's someone that they're not and the sad sad reality is this this is exactly what we do all the time in the church we dress up even this morning sometimes in, in our best religious costumes our best religious costumes the costume of a guy who's always nice who's always upbeat who nothing ever bothers him Maybe the costume of the one who's always busy and always productive in ministry. You know, you you put on your best old navy dress, ladies, and you you say, I'm blessed by the best. Jesus and coffee, fall, y'all. We got our shirts that we love to always look upbeat and excited. For a moment, we try to hide who we really are and pretend to be something we're not. We dress ourselves in our religious self-righteousness, trying to impress others, and sadly, even trying to impress God. This has happened since the very beginning. This happened since the Garden of Eden. I mean, remember Adam and Eve, they they sinned against God by eating of the forbidden tree, yet they didn't respond with repentance and, and brokenness. They didn't humbly come before their father and ask for forgiveness. Instead, what do they do? They go and they get their very first costume. They go and cover themselves with fig leaves. They're trying their best. They're trying their hardest to hide their sin and to hide their shame. They're trying to pretend to be something that they're not. They're trying to pretend to be something they're not. This temptation is still real for you and me. I know it's still real for myself. It's a temptation to dress, to impress every day, to impress you with my religious performance, my religious productivity, my my religious performance that's far better than yours. My fig leaves that I still try to wear. My self-righteousness. It's the temptation of our hearts to rest in my works, in my righteousness, instead of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. It's the temptation to rejoice in what I've done instead of rejoicing in the Lord and what He's done. This morning, I'm praying that that the gospel, by the power of the Spirit, would be crystal clear to our heart. So I've been praying on repeat all week long that that we would see today that it's not trusting in our righteousness and trusting in Jesus as a package deal. Instead, it is renouncing all hope in ourselves and casting ourselves completely on Jesus. Jesus. Not 99% Jesus and 1% us, 100% all in, resting completely on Jesus. And I'm praying that for all of us today. It's the Lord calling us to do exactly what Paul says in verse 1, to rejoice in the Lord. To find all our joy come, it all comes from resting in Him. So, how do we do that? How does... How does Paul learn this himself, and how do we need to learn this this morning? Well, well, the first thing I want us to see is that we must look out for the dogs. we got to look out for the dogs. Verse 2 says this, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Look out for those who are teach, false teachers, who are teaching that you can obey the law, and by obeying the law, you can be justified. They might look convincing. They might have the Bible in their hands. They might have some religious speech and some religious talk. But these false teachers are turning your eyes away from Jesus. All three of these phrases that you see there, they're describing the Judaizers. The same Judaizers, the same false teachers you find in the book of Galatians. They're religious leaders who are offering salvation through knowing the law, but not just knowing it, keeping it yourself. So they'd say things like this. Hey, Jesus is good. It's great that you sing songs about Jesus, talk about Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised. You also have to To keep the Sabbath, you also have to follow all these rules and obey all these laws. And if you do, you will be justified. You will be saved. That's why Paul gives this startling and graphic description saying that they are those who mutilate the flesh. I I don't think I need a slide to show you what he's talking about. But who mutilate the flesh, he's talking about they're telling you to be circumcised that that might save you. And what these false teachers are doing is they are losing the gospel. They're losing the gospel. See, you you can lose the gospel a couple different ways. You can lose the gospel by losing Jesus. Like anything minus Jesus, and you've lost the gospel. That's pretty easy for us to understand, right? You You take away Jesus You've lost all hope. You've lost all hope of salvation. You've lost everything. But the same is true by adding to Jesus. Jesus plus anything, and you've lost the gospel. You add anything to Jesus, and you completely lose all hope, all peace. So, So, for instance, Jesus plus circumcision. And you've lost the gospel. Jesus plus my obedience. Jesus plus my church attendance. Jesus plus my baptism. Jesus plus my good works that I can bring to God. Jesus plus my best prayer, my best sinner's prayer I can pray. Jesus plus my best sermon I could ever preach. Jesus plus anything and you've completely lost the gospel. So you can take anything away from Jesus, you can add anything to Jesus, and you lose the gospel. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Jerry Bridges says this, even our tears of repentance need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Even our tears of repentance need to be redeemed by Jesus. So, this morning, Paul is saying, if you you want to know what it means to to be saved, you must run as fast as you can from anybody or anything that could take your eyes off of Jesus. I used to run a lot in this neighborhood and downtown. I used to run late at night. And as I was running One night down Combs Drive, I I saw kind of in the periphery, my periphery vision over here somewhere, something from the shadows, and it was like running as fast as it could after me, like cutting through backyards, running as fast as it could. And so I turned and looked, and over there were two huge, muscular, bodybuilding pit bulls, like running as fast as they could in full sprint, running to cut me off in the street. I didn't know whether I could run faster, maybe when I was like 16, but like 36, whatever age I was. I wasn't outrunning them. I didn't know if I should try to climb a tree or just curl up in a ball until I saw Jesus. You know, like, Jesus, I guess this is the moment I get to see you. Luckily, the owner ran out and called them off. But I I will tell you this, I, I didn't take this lightly ever again. I started running a different way. My my guard was always up. I was looking out for the dogs. Brothers and sisters, Paul is saying we must look out for the dogs in our Christian life. We must look for anyone or anything that would come after you to take your eyes off Jesus. You can't take this lightly. We should want Jesus and nothing else, our eyes on Jesus and nothing else. So this means anything in this world that would seduce you to be satisfied in something other than Jesus, you want to stay away from that. But it also means religious people that want to add add to Jesus and take your eyes off your only hope that's completely in him, you want to stay away from that too. It's sad and it's tragic that it's not always the world that takes our eyes off Jesus. Sometimes it's self-righteous religion. It's religious busyness that ruins our rejoicing and our re- re- resting in Jesus. That's why Paul says in verse 3, we are the circumcision. Look, he says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no Confidence in the flesh. flesh. Zero confidence in the flesh. He says, We're the true people of God, not because we've cut off some flesh, but because of Jesus Christ. We're the true people of God, not because of what we do, but only because of what Jesus has done. So, brothers and sisters, look out for the dogs. Look out for anyone or anything that would take your eyes off Jesus. But the second thing we see in our passage is we must look away from even yourself. We must look away from yourself. If we're honest this morning, it's not really the people out there or in here who distract us from Jesus. A lot of times it's our own hearts. It's our own busyness. It's our own restlessness in our souls. that want to fill that void with religious activity. Religious production, something to bring to God that he will approve and accept me. It's, it's me trying to add to the finished work of Jesus. It's me running on a religious treadmill, getting caught up in the rat race of religion. Paul knew this temptation. He, he knew what it was like to build an impressive religious resume, a religious resume to impress God and to impress others and if you look at the passage it's very impressive he even says if anyone thinks he has else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh I have more like I don't care who you want to line up in front of me who wants to compete with my righteousness with my accomplishments I don't care who it is I know I have more just look at Paul's religious resume found in verse five and six he says, I am I was circumcised on the eighth day. He's saying, I, I follow the law perfectly. Every little detail of the law I have obeyed. Of the people of Israel, he says, I'm, I'm part of God's chosen and prized people. When the Bible says that God's people are the apple of his eye, he's thinking of me. Of the tribe of Benjamin, I can trace my lineage all the way back to Jacob's last son, his most precious son. A Hebrew of Hebrews, I'm I'm from the heart of God's people, I'm from the inner circle, I know the lingo, I can speak the language. He says, as to the law of Pharisee, he's saying, I'm part of the, the Marines of Obedience. No one keeps the law more than I do. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, I keep things pure. He, Paul probably saw in his eyes that I'm part of the Old Testament zealous men like, like Elijah, like Phineas. And then finally he says, as to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. That's, that's a, a big statement. He's saying, no one can condemn me. I dare you to bring a charge against me. I I dare you you try to prove how I have fallen short. I mean, who in here can compete with that kind of religious performance? Who who can compare to Paul? But that doesn't mean that that we too don't trust in our own self-righteousness. It's, it's the air that we breathe. So, so instead of comparing ourselves to Paul, do you know what we do? We just compare ourselves to other people in this room. We just compare ourselves to other people in our family, those who work around us and live around us. And our hearts say stuff like, no, no one selflessly serves in the nursery like I do. I mean, they don't have anybody that can kind of step in last minute, no one is as selfless and as willing and ready as I am. No one is keeping up with the, the church's Bible reading, reading plan like me. I don't know if you've noticed the check marks beside my name in there, but I've been reading every day. I haven't missed a day. No, no one's sharing the gospel on campus more than me. I mean, i got a s- stack of religious spiritual surveys in my dorm room that I can prove it. No one leads more Bible studies or, or prays more or, or disciples more or gives more to the church in the offering plate or, or reads more books or knows more theology or cares about the nations or goes overseas or, or does the unnoticed acts of service that I really hope you notice. I mean, no, no one raises their hands as high as I do when we sing. If you think you raise them higher, I'll stand on the chair next week. No one's going to raise their their hands higher than me. We're constantly trying to build our religious resume to impress one another, but but also because we think it might be impressive to God. Don't, Don't deceive yourself. There are times that you try to impress God by what you can bring to him yourself. So let me ask you this morning, what's on your resume? What's happened over the last week or month that you think will impress others, that you think would impress God? What are you trusting in? What are you resting in? What what have you done that you're proud of? But here's the, the bad news. God's standard is not for you to perform better than everybody else at Christ Fellowship. God's standard is not for you to be the most religiously busy person on Western's campus. Not to be the most religious active person in all of Bowling Green. Not to be the most religiously impressive person in your immediate family. No, you know, the Bible's clear that God's standard is Perfection. God's standard is perfect righteousness. It's God calling you to be holy as He is holy, calling you to be spotless, to be unblemished. God's standard is Himself, and none of us are God. None of us. Your best deeds are not enough. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, says that your best deeds are nothing but filthy rags. So let me free you up this morning with a truth that's freeing to me. You are not enough. That's good news today. You are not enough. That's your first step to freedom. It's to rest in that, that you are not enough. I know that every self-help book will disagree with me, and a lot of sermons in churches might Disagree with me, Joel Osteen, Stephen Furtick, they would hate that I said this this morning. But you are not enough, and that is good news. That's freedom for you. That's freedom for you. We must believe it when the Bible says in Romans 3 that none is righteous. No, not one. We have to believe it when Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Just to make it abundantly clear, you're part of the all. I don't have to break down the Greek, but you are part of the all that have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You are not enough. There's no such thing as self-righteousness. There's no such thing as self-help because self can't help. Self can't, you can't save yourself. And if you're anything like me, I know I've lived Most of my life, thinking that I could do enough for God, that I could do enough for others, that I could be enough, and it's freeing to know that I'm not. It's freeing to know that I'm not, and I must, I must look outside of myself. And that's exactly the place that Paul wants to turn our eyes this morning. Because he says, look out for the dogs and look away for yourself. But finally, he says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. When your heart comes to the realization that God's standard is perfect righteousness, and, and then when your heart comes to the realization that you're not righteous, you're not enough, the only hope that you have is to cast yourself on the one who is righteous, on the one who is enough to cast yourselves upon Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happens in the heart of the Apostle Paul. He comes to realize that his religious resume is not impressing God. The only one that impresses God is his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who is perfectly righteous. Listen to what he says in verse 7. He says, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord Spirit, do this in our hearts. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul says I must Suffer the loss of this resume. I must count it as rubbish, as nothing. And look what he says in order to gain Christ. Those are three really important words. In order to gain Christ, which means, let me be abundantly clear, if I don't renounce my resume, if I don't renounce my performance, if I don't count it as Rubbish, which that word literally in the Greek means dog poop. Literally. If I don't count it as nothing, then I will not have Jesus. If I don't count myself completely, cast myself completely on Jesus, I won't have Jesus. This is what it means to believe the gospel. Yes, the the gospel, I know you've heard it a million times, the gospel does say that you have to repent of your sins and run from your sins and run to Jesus who died on the cross for you. That is 100% true. But the gospel also demands that we repent and renounce all hope in our righteousness to be covered in the righteousness of Christ. You can't trust in yourself and trust in Jesus at the same time. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Jesus plus nothing is our hope. Paul says this gift of righteousness We receive by placing all our faith in Jesus. Look back at your passage at verse 8 and 9. Again, he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. And then he says this, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith, through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So, Paul's saying this salvation doesn't come through achieving righteousness. Salvation comes through receiving righteousness as a gift, receiving righteousness as a gift by faith. So, so righteousness is not something that I bring to God. It's not these religious works, this church attendance, these great prayers, this reading the Bible that I bring to God and think, God, you're going to be impressed with this. No, righteousness is not something I bring to God. It's something that I receive from him by faith in Jesus. When I believe in Jesus, I'm not just receiving forgiveness for my sins. I'm receiving the righteousness of Christ as a gift. I'm being clothed. Like a blanket, I'm being clothed like a coat in the righteousness of Christ. So that when the Father sees me covered in the righteousness of Christ, He doesn't see my sin anymore. But He does see me in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees the perfect, spotless, without blemish, complete righteousness of Jesus Christ. We miss this in the gospel. We miss it all the time. When we talk about Jesus being a substitute for us, you've heard that language, I'm sure, before, that Jesus is our substitute. We often act like Jesus became a substitute when he got on the cross. But Jesus became a substitute at birth. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life that we couldn't live a perfectly righteous life in our place. And then he died in our place because he had to be a perfect sacrifice to take away our sins so that he could give us his righteousness. It's the great exchange. Jesus went to the cross and he trades you. He makes a trade with you. He says, I want your sin and you get my perfect righteousness. We get the good end of that deal. Amen. So my question this morning, again, I want the gospel to be abundantly clear. I'm praying for the Spirit to make it clear to us today. My question is not just have you believed in Jesus to take away your sins when he died on the cross. But also are you resting in the complete, perfect righteousness of Christ to cover you. And not your own righteousness. Listen, Paul Paul Washer has a powerful sermon, a sermon that really transformed the way I think about the Christian life. And this this sermon is called, The Four Pillars of the Christian Life. And he says, these are the four pillars of the Christian life, and every Christian typically lives them in this order. He says here's what we typically do. He said typically we have who God is, what God has done, then our obedience, and after our obedience comes joy. So think about that really clearly. Who God is, what God has done, then our obedience, and then after that comes joy. But what what happens when we as Christians live that way so when christians first response to who god is and what he's done for us is our obedience then it turns on into depending on how much i as a christian obey or how little i obey this week is going to dictate how much joy i really have isn't that true isn't that how you've lived i mean i've confessed that a hundred times who God is, what he's done, and then I need to obey him. And then in response to that obedience, how much I obey, how little I obey, then I'll have joy, maybe. And and that's why trusting in your obedience and trusting in your performance and trusting in your righteousness is robbing you of so much joy in your life. But it's not just robbing you of joy. I mean, think about all else it's creating in your heart, the mess it's creating in your heart. It's not just creating a joyless heart. It's creating a heart filled with insecurity and a heart filled with anxiety and a heart filled with pride and ego and comparison and competition and frustration when our ultimate hope is in how we're performing for Jesus. But instead, Paul Washer says, here's how it should look. Here, here's the invitation the gospel gives to us as the people of God. Here's how the four pillars should be. It should be who God is. What God has done. Then joy. And then obedience. Joy then obedience. My, my joy is completely in who God is and what God has done for me, not in what I do for God. So, so my joy, it's rooted and resting in who God is and, and what he's done for me by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for me. Do you, do you, does your heart get this? Do you feel this this I morning? Mean, My my joy is not in response to how much or how little I obey this week or how well I perform. My joy is not dictated to how much or how little I have achieved. It's rooted completely in what I've received from a gracious Father who has given me His one and only Son. Not only to take away my sins, but to cover me already in perfect righteousness, right, perfect, complete righteousness that I don't have to add to. It's more than enough for the Father. So it's amazing now that my joy is not dependent on my obedience. Now instead, now that it's flipped, my joy is now fuel for obedience. Now I'm not filled with insecurity. And pride and ego and comparison and anxiety that I had because I was resting on me and my performance. Now instead, I rejoice in knowing Him. Knowing Him and the power, Paul says, of His resurrection. And being able to share in His sufferings because I'm resting completely completely in Him. Do you see how That changes our hearts. Instead of insecurity now, we have complete security in Christ. Instead of anxiety, because how are we living? Are we doing enough? Instead, we have peace and assurance in Christ. Instead of competition and comparison in the body of Christ, we have unity and joy with one another. Instead of frustration, oh, we have hope because of all that we've been given in Christ. So I ask you again, do you see the difference? Do you feel the difference? Are you resting in Jesus? Are you casting yourselves on Christ, not only for the forgiveness of your sins, but to be covered in His perfect righteousness? Listen to what Eugene Peterson says. He says this, Christian discipleship is the process of paying more and more attention to God's righteousness and less and less to mine. That's so good. Christian discipleship is the process of paying more and more attention to God's righteousness. God's righteousness given to me as a gift and less and less attention to mine. Well, today we celebrate and remember Reformation Day. The rediscovery and a return to the one true gospel that the Catholic Church had lost. A monk named Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of the church at Wittenberg, propelling or or beginning the Protestant Reformation. And yet, if you know Martin Luther's life, Martin Luther was not always resting In the righteousness of Christ. Early on as a a monk, Luther, trying to be the best monk he can be, the most impressive monk he could be, was doing his best to dress himself in his religious performance. He'd spend long nights sleeping on cobblestone floors. Thinking, I'll just sleep on the cold floors in the middle of winter and surely the Lord will approve of me for that. He would whip and and beat himself. He would give himself lashes believing that he needed to punish and purify himself for his sins, thinking surely God would approve him for that. He he would really try hard to pray and to read and to do good acts of service in the monastery, thinking surely God will approve me, surely I can achieve my own salvation. But this self-righteousness, this religious performance, his best obedience could not set him free, could not set his heart and his conscience free. It made him so frustrated that when another monk asked him, Martin, do you love God? Luther's response, love God. I hate him. A heart of joyless frustration trying so hard to be righteous on his own trying so hard doing so much but he would he could never be enough but that's when the the Lord met him one day he was sitting over God's word there he was looking at the book of Romans, and there was the spirit-filled light bulb moment where he was set free. And he read these words from Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness is not achieved by works. The righteous live by faith. And, and he said this paradise opened up in his heart where, where for the first time Luther saw that it's not my righteousness that I re- achieve, it's, it's a righteousness I receive by faith in Jesus. Jesus. It's God's righteousness, not my own, an an alien righteousness outside of me. My my righteousness is filthy rags. My righteousness is never enough. I need a righteousness outside of myself that I receive by faith. And it's only the righteousness of Christ. So maybe this year, this, this could be your light bulb moment. This could be the the Reformation Day for your own heart. Where you realize and you confess, I will never be accepted because of my righteousness. It's only because of the righteousness of Christ. The bad news, I believe it, I will never be enough. But the good news is that Jesus will always be enough for me. This is the gospel. Jesus lived the life that you could never live. Then he died the death that you deserve to die. Then he rose again three days later so that you might be forgiven of your sins and you might be free, covered in the righteousness of Christ forever. So this morning praying the Holy Spirit is telling you you must repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and I pray he's also saying you must repent of your righteousness and trust in Jesus alone my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame, the sweetest prayer, the best sermon, the best baptism, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Lord, there's none of us who are righteous. No, not one of us who are righteous because of what we have done. But, Lord, you didn't leave us in our sin. But, Lord, in your grace and in your mercy and in your love, you sent Jesus to come and to live a perfect life in our place as our substitute. And to die a sinner's death upon that cross as our substitute and, and rise again, Lord, so not only would our sins be taken away forever, past, present, and the future, but forever we would be clothed in your righteousness. So that when you look at us, you no longer see people who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see people hidden in your Son, people covered in Christ's righteousness. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are not Christians today. Lord, I pray they would abandon all hope in the sin that cannot satisfy them and the self-righteousness that cannot save them. Lord, that they would abandon all hope in that and cast themselves completely on Jesus this morning. And, Lord, I pray for your people. I pray for Christ's fellowship. I pray for your church. Oh Lord, I pray that these truths would set us free. That our joy, that our peace, that our hope, that our assurance would not be resting in our performance. It would not be resting in our obedience, our righteousness. What what we think we can bring to you that would be impressive, that would be enough. Oh, Lord, but that we would rest completely on Jesus. Lord, let your spirit help us rest completely on Jesus. That we would experience joy and peace and assurance and hope and grace that we could never earn that would fuel us to obedience for the glory of your name. Lord, would you do this among us today for your great glory and our great joy. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.